God wants us to sing for one another, songs that we as a congregation, a collective can sing, stories that we need to hear, and there's stuff that's coming from the ground, and that's sort of a, that's kind of a metaphor and an imagery of way of thinking, but there are, there are songs and there are stories and there are things that are coming from the very places that we live and exist in and walk in, and I guess I just am bringing awareness to that, encouraging my poets, storytellers, and songwriters in the room to be paying attention and to be writing and to be thinking along those lines. So, um, many of you know that I've been working for uh, for about three years now. I've been connecting with and enjoying um, um, this uh, group of people. Group of people. I didn't want to say organization because it just seems too formal. But this group of amazing people um, with Parish Collective, and. Um, um, I, I've said this before, but you know, I'll go to conferences or go to places and walk into a place and, and I try to find my people. Do you ever do that? Like you walk into a space and you're like, okay, who are my people? And then you're like, maybe find three if you're really lucky, right? I went to Parish Collective. <laughs> I remember the first time I went there and I went by myself, which is something I don't normally do. And I found like my people in that. Like every person I met was just like there. They were innovating, they were creating, they were intuitive, they were present. Anyway, just loved, just been developing this friendship and relationship and collaborating thing with them. So I have two people, two guests today with us, two friends of mine, Dave Harder from Ottawa, Canada, and Paul Sparks from Tacoma, Washington, and I just would like to invite them to come and hang out. So um, hello everybody, thank you for having me. It's great to be here and great to be in this space beautiful building here and yesterday I crossed the street and went to the harvest fair and it was unbelievable what's happening in this neighborhood and be ready because the children are going to be invading and it's going to be unbelievable here so that's exciting. I'm from a hilltop neighborhood in Tacoma, Washington and I want to take the moment to just introduce you to my uh, lovely uh, partner who I have covenanted for the rest of my days and who is uh, also a mentor of sorts uh, in many ways for me. And so uh, will you just give a big hand to Elizabeth over there? And if any of the things that I share uh, today uh, resonate deeply and you want to talk to the person who lives it out, you go visit with her afterwards, okay? So, yeah, Hilltop, Tacoma. My name is Dave Harder, and uh, first time in Portland. I love Portland. What an amazing city. Portland's very similar to Ottawa. It's got a similar vibe, similar feel. So I'm from Ottawa, from the Glebe neighborhood. My wife and I, three kids, we live present in that community and just love the shops and the spaces that we inhabit. And uh, so, yeah, so we come representing the Glebe. And I work with, work with Parish Collective Canada. Canada, to be clear. Canada. Parish Collective Canada. Yeah, I work with Parish Collective, but I just need to get Canada on the map a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. good to yeah. add that in. I was talking to Bryce, who, is, who works with Dave at Parish Collective Canada. And he was like, so how are you, are you excited to come and work with PCC? And I'm like, what's PCC? Like, I was confusing. We're rebranding the whole thing, Paul. Parish Collective. Canada. And I don't know, this particular trip I experienced a lot of um, suspicion. Yeah, and and yeah. sort of gloating. The the Canadians were gloating big time yeah. about We do have a raptors about We have a lot to uh, gloat about. All the things. Yeah. Yeah, we are the champions in case everyone's <laughs> And the whole nation has owned that, so it's not just Toronto. The whole nation has said that we're yeah, we're champions. <laughs> it just died. It just We may not get this back, will we? vibe is bad. 
We're praying for humility. (laughs) There's a humble work happening in the neighborhood. It's not in this region. (laughs) What are the Raptors? Oh, no. Oh, no. Right. (laughs) Yeah, ouch. I could talk hockey. That'd be fun. Could go there next. Okay, Paul, I'm going to start with you. And um, so Paul is one of the co-founders of Parish Collective. And so I just wanted him to share maybe the heart and how, why, what. Yeah. Give us the sure. story. Okay. I'll tell a little story. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Uh, how many of you have ever been on your way to a church meeting? And let me say it like you, you're not in the right space. Uh, you're not uh, being faithfully present, as it were. Is that just a, a, a Seattle-Tacoma thing? <laughs> Does that happen here? Like, you know, maybe maybe you're arguing with your spouse or, like, beating the children nonviolently in the back seat. <laughs> uh, and, and, and then... And then you get to the meeting, right? You get to the meeting, and you begin walking towards the doors, and something comes over you. You see the first person, and it's like all of a sudden you have a transformation. Uh, And it's like, oh, hello, good morning. Yes, God is good all the time. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, good, good. I'm not alone. And it's even worse, I'm just going to say it, it's even worse for these ministry leader types, right? They feel this pressure to always have that shiny face when the people are coming in and such. And I was, I was uh, uh, pastoring a church where that pressure was getting really high. And I was having an argument with our leadership team just before the meeting, Sunday meeting was going to begin. And I was irritated because they weren't doing things my way, and I wasn't able to control things the way I wanted to. And I was upset, and I'm pacing back and forth. And we had this little overflow section that had the, 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 the white plastic chairs. And uh, something came over me. And re- re- remember now, I was in my 20s at the time, so just forgive me. Uh, but I'm, I'm pacing back and forth, and I literally, something comes over me, and Boom, I just knock one of those chairs flying through the air in, in rage, right? And pretty soon, chairs are just like flying in, in beautiful arcs across the auditorium. And I'm just like, oh. But then I look up at the clock, and it's like 15, 20 minutes till we're going to begin. And this wave washes over me. Somebody's going to come through that building. And so I put the chairs back really quickly. And sure enough, just as I finish, a couple walks through, and I'm like, good morning, God bless, God is good. Uh, and, I, and that happened to me, right? And I say that all, Sonia, because I went home that night, and I could not get out of my brain what had, had happened there. And I started to ask the question, what if it's possible that the only time that the community or the world around us gets to see how followers of Jesus act together is when we're faking it. I mean, just just think about it for a minute. What if the only time they get to see, do we love each other? Do we forgive each other? Do we show mercy? Do we are? What if the only time they see it is when they happen to come into our building and they happen to see us when we got all of our act together and we've got our shiny face on and, and all that sort of thing. So all of that to say, Parish Collective began with some people who said, what would it look like if people could see how we act together in the neighborhood 
when it's not Sunday morning. Like in real life, if we encountered each other, if we uh, shared stuff together, if we lived more life together, you know? And the tragedy was we had no idea how to do that, right? So we, we started experimenting with being present in the neighborhood where our gathering was located more and more. And so some of us lived a long ways away, some of us lived close by, but all of us started to say, how do we invent new ways? Like maybe it's just going to the coffee shop in that neighborhood, maybe it's uh, uh, walking the kids in the park, and we started hanging out more. And I'll, I'll, wrap, I'll, I'll wrap this up by saying, we started having testimony meetings that are unlike any testimony meeting you've ever seen. And visitors would come in and hear our testimony meetings. It would be something like this. I just want to thank God because last week I was walking down the street on my way to the coffee shop and I ran into Nicole on her way to the coffee shop. And we'd all be like, oh, praise God. That is amazing. Because in our experience, it was an absolute miracle to encounter another person that was a part of our congregation spontaneously in the middle of the neighborhood. Right? That was like, yes. what is happening here? Yeah. Uh, we are being the church in real life, in the everyday. That's a good point. Right? So Parish Collective began with groups of people in different cities who were experimenting with being present in the neighborhood together. And how could we support each other, pray for each other, uh, uh, collaborate together, tell each other we're not crazy for what we're experimenting with. Right? Uh, and so what we discovered is that God was doing something in neighborhoods all over the Pacific Northwest. Right? Every neighborhood that we would connect with, we would find churches, groups of people who were saying, we want to experiment with being present in our neighborhood. Mm. And God was up to something. And so it, it, it's a delight, Sonia, to be here because with the new shifts and changes that are happening with this new space, you're right in the middle of a place that is, is vibrant with neighborhood life. God is up to something here. And I think you've been called in a, in a very special way to be present to what God is up to yes. and tease it out, yeah. you know? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so, so um, I guess Dave, how did how did neighborhood come into focus for you? Has that always been there? Where was there a particular experience or a moment where that hit home for you? And then what did that look like? Yeah, similar to Paul's story, um, was a church planner planted a church in Calgary, went to Vancouver to be amazing and plant a church there, <laughs> and because the narrative of that time was part of a of a charismatic movement and the goal was to be amazing and every Sunday to do better than the next Sunday, and to and it, it attached to the unhealth in my three. And I said, if I can be amazing somewhere, this is a great space to be amazing. <laughs> and so, so the goal was to grow bigger and better. Yeah. And in Vancouver... I can't relate to that at you all. Are There's Thank you. Um, in Vancouver, it came to a head where... Uh, stop affirming me. I'm trying to not be amazing right now. Uh, it came to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. I had faced a pretty extreme burnout the pressure to keep doing the thing better and better and better. And I realized I wasn't living into who I was. My authentic self was suppressed. 
So we took time, and our family said, what would it look like if we just stopped and actually in our time off began to live into our neighborhood? And that was intuitive. It wasn't something that I'd read or um, it was just something that we felt we needed to do. And there was one moment where I, it, it shook me, and it's a, uh, a story where I'm, if you walk with me, uh, Leroy has some great stories of walking with me. Um, I'm very fast, and I'm destination-focused, and I, I, we're getting to a space, a place, a person, usually a restaurant. Um, and I was, when you're with kids, my son was four, four or five at the time, kids notice everything. And they are not going anywhere quick. So, like, they see sticks and ants and, like, there's just stuff. And it's like, come on, Kellen, we got to go. But Kellen taught me how to walk my place. And my little four-year-old taught me what it was to be present to my surroundings. And we would walk to the coffee shop, and there was, outside of the coffee shop, was an unhoused gentleman called Kenny. And every time my son would walk by Kenny, he would stop and have a conversation. And Kenny called him his little dude. So we'd be walking by, and Kenny would stand up and say, hey, there's my little dude. And they would have a conversation, and I would kind of go, oh, my gosh, I'd stop again. And, and, and then so I wasn't noticing who Kenny was as human. And those interactions began to reveal in me how dislocated I was from the place I was in. I wasn't present with the people around me. I was destination-focused. I was event-driven. I wasn't present. In one conversation, we walked away, and, and Kellen says, Daddy, does Kenny have a home? And I said, no, he, he doesn't have a home. And he said, does he have a mommy and daddy? And I said, well, I'm sure he does, but I don't know their relationship. And the question that broke me, he said, does Kenny ever get French fries? He said, can we go buy Kenny French fries? And we went to the McDonald's, and we brought Kenny French fries. And Kenny became a, a character in our neighborhood and in our home. He came to Thanksgiving dinners. Our community came alongside him and helped him get a job. And, and the narrative of place began to go, I think this is what we're called to be and do. And the joy of that versus the contrast of performance began to be uh, very real for me. goes into something that we've talked about often, which is um, as, as, I think as um, maybe as, as church people, as a churched person, I should say, um, and then someone who has a vocational call to ministry life in this kind of role, um, we come into place thinking, I'm here to change this, right? Yeah. We're going to come, I mean, I've even heard that from some um, you know, mega ministers, right? We're going to change the culture here. That, like, in, in fact, that's a very explicit intent. Um, what would you say in response to that kind of a, of a mentality or, you, you know what I mean? Like, what, um, how, how, how would we, I mean, in thinking about this, we're in this new congregation coming into this new space, into a new neighborhood. Some of us live in neighborhoods that are connected, but maybe not here. Um, I don't know, what, do you, what, would, what kind of encouragement or what would you say to a, a new body of believers moving into a new place and wanting to live into neighborhood? I was shocked at how living present in my neighborhood, how that would change me. 
And the question, and, and Paul would ask the question often to me, is how is the neighborhood changing you, not how are you changing the neighborhood? And I think the posture often within um, a colonized Christianity. Say that again, though. The posture within colonized Christianity is to come in and exert change on a place. And when we moved to Ottawa, I said, we're not going to do that. We're going to come in and we're going to be informed by the place. And I could, and I won't do it because it, it's endless. There are so many stories from how I've been changed from my place. Um, and my kids have been changed from the place. And so it's this reciprocity, this mutuality. Of, yeah, we're bringing who I am into the space, but I'm learning so much from who the others are around me. And um, I've also taken a posture of who are the voices in my neighborhood that are on the margins and aren't heard. Because if I can learn from them, I'll understand in way, in way deeper ways the pulse um, in the heart of this place. So, um, quick story. My daughter, she uh, loves people so well. She talks nonstop. If you go for a walk with her, you're just talking the whole way. And she is a verbal processor and very filled with joy and compassion. And she came home and she said, Dad, um, how much money do I have in my bank account? And I go, I don't freaking know. Um, why? She says, well, I want to go buy my friend some boots. And we didn't know she had a friend uh, who needed <laughs> boots who, again, was homeless and uh, unhoused. And so, like, my kids are starting to kind of catch this. So she walks around the neighborhood with her little friends and talks to people who they would say you shouldn't talk to. And she says, why? They're safe. They're characters in the neighborhood. Like, she uses our, my language. Um, but it's fascinating to watch how it's changing us. So I would say don't go in and exert power over. Come in and just be present in and see. see well, obviously, you bring things, yes. But, but learn and grow from the neighborhood. Let it disciple you before you disciple it. describes uh, like uh, if you're going to come into my village uh, then you better listen and ask enough questions and be present there long enough to know what actually harmony looks like you know they use the harmony way which is an indigenous uh, term for shalom essentially right and and uh, you better ask the people be with the people, get your hands in the ground, touch the place, be present there, and learn what God's spirit is up to. Learn what shalom, uh, what will bring shalom before you start giving answers, you know? And uh, it could be said, I mean, the first word of the gospel from John the Baptist to Jesus to the apostles is repent. And it's not a word uh, that is meant for a one-time experience. It's a, a, a word that is supposed to uh, reflect the way of followers of Jesus. And that is that we are constantly recognizing how we have been dismembered, right. fragmented, broken, and how do we learn how to fit back together again? 
how to remember. And so when we come into a new place, if we don't acknowledge the fact that in many ways we have been, we are those who have, have scattered and, and lived our own lives and neglected uh, life together in the neighborhood, and we are on a journey of repentance. Yes. Like yes. We, yes. we have things to learn from those who have been yes. present in the neighborhood. You know, like, like even that person who doesn't have a home, yeah. oftentimes they have learned a way of presence, a way of being uh, uh, interdependent together. And so you can make a good case yeah. that the way to enter back in is in repentance yes. and in a posture of listening uh, for what does harmony look like in this place, you know? Um, you know, what um, you, Paul, you just kind of shared from from the text, what maybe the pieces that have ins inspired this kind of movement towards neighbor. Um, Dave, and then maybe Paul again, or Paul, however you want to do this. Um, are there are there biblical stories? Or, you know, from the text, or and um, ways in which you can recall Jesus or Spirit drawing you into the neighborhood. The uh, anybody know that? It isn't just we're not making up neighborhood just because. Wow, that would be a neat little shtick, right? I mean, I'm just right. But anyway, <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll I'll bring up this one. Anybody know the first temple? in the Bible, uh, I'll just say it. The first temple is the Garden of Eden. Uh, and you can look it up if you, if you Google like Garden of Eden and temple, you'll see the passages of scripture that refer to the land and the place as the place where God's presence rested as the temple and the actual word temple is, is used. And uh, so God calls priests Adam and Eve, to learn how to fit together in this temple, right, and to care for it. And the way N.T. Wright describes it, it's like uh, we become together as a body, we become this two-way mirror uh, where the songs of God are, we are the vehicle for the songs of God to be poured out to the earth and to the relations in that place. And for the relations of that place, we are to bring the songs back uh, lifted up in worship to God, right? And so Adam and Eve are called not to the world. They are called to a specific place that has specific rivers and specific names uh, flowing through it, right? And God calls them to be these priests uh, mediating God's presence in that place, caring for it, uh, bringing shalom, um, entering into shalom, etc. And all throughout the scriptures is this case uh, of God hoping that what it means to be humans, not what it means to be Christians, yes, that what it means to yes. be a human being is to be these priests, a royal priesthood, yes. right? Yes. Who cares for the relations of that place in a way that brings life and shalom. And all throughout the old Hebrew scriptures, nobody gets it. They're excluding people who are different than they are right? Uh, they are mistreating the land. Yep. They are doing all this crazy stuff. And all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, they're missing it, missing it, missing it. And Jesus comes on the scene and boom, 
It's a massive reversal. And a new family is born. It's not a family that's just based on bloodline, right? If, in those days, you didn't share the same bloodline, you are out. You're a nobody. And Jesus comes on the scene and introduces, you're going to be shocked because Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, we could say black and white, all these different boundaries you created, all of a sudden you're going to see these people fitting together in all their difference like family, right? And they are going to begin to love one another, their enemies, the land, the place. Uh, all of creation has been groaning for these sons and daughters of God to be revealed, right? Because healing will, is going to emerge from it. And people are going to be shocked because people who are different than they are are going to act like family together. Okay, I'm, you're going to get me going. No, this is so good. You keep going. Uh, okay. Oh, you know. Okay. So, yeah. So I just say it all to say, to say, for me, the whole scripture, I mean, Jesus comes on the scene, and every story, you can, you can make a case. Read through the Gospels with this question. How in this story is Jesus trying to bring someone who has been excluded from the life and community back into it? And you'll be shocked. Jesus touches the leper, says, go show yourself to the priest. Why? The priest gives you the bill of health so you can enter back into the life and community, right? Uh, I mean, we, I could go on and on with narratives. Don't take my story. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Dave, you share. <laughs> you just set me up for a perfect story. So I'm going with share. your flow. Share. You said the, me the big narrative. Um, the most impactful story for me is Jesus feeding the multitudes. And I think when you read the, the text or an empire narrative, you miss the essence of the narrative. And so much of what I thought that story was was the miracle of multiplying food. And I think there's a way greater narrative going on when you read the text through what Paul was saying. Um, there's a way greater miracle going on. And Jesus is teaching them how to practice something of what Paul just said. This narrative of family, of connection, of people who are outside being in. And I think the greatest miracle in that story was Jesus set up tables with people who would have never, ever eaten together. The greatest miracle in that story is that people who have never had connection had connection. People who had never had eaten, because it was the poor that were also with the rich, who were also, the, the diversity on that hillside was extreme. And Jesus got them together in little pockets, and you have the first block party where people are hanging out together for the first time, and they never would have. That, to me, is the greatest miracle. And the disciples look at it, and what do they see? They see what's not there in the neighborhood. The disciples see what's not present. There's no food. We can't eat them. What does Jesus do? Asset-based community develop. He looks at what's here. And what's here. We're going to use what's already here, which is a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and that will be enough. If we look at what's here in the neighborhood, if we look at not what the neighborhood lacks, it's so easy to look at all the needs, but let's look at the assets. Let's begin to look at what we have here as our starting point. So I think that story for me captures um, really what we're called to do in the neighborhood. of safe space, creating tables and spaces for diverse people to actually hear the stories of the other and to look at the, not the needs, but what we actually have. Um, 
Paul, you and I have talked about um, the the commitment and the invitation to um, to live in the neighborhood. To live in the neighborhood, for example, we talked about church. And when when I was telling you, hey, we're we're gonna possibly have this facility over in Sunnyside neighborhood. I live in John's Landing, Lair Hill, across the river, and there was a tension that I was experiencing because we were meeting in my neighborhood. I could walk down the street, and it was really easy for me to invite people, and Paul and I have dreamed for a long time of, I mean, we were always trying to get people to live near us, like always, you know, live with us or near us. We're like, there's a house for sale, you know, or there's one for rent, and, and we would at one time, Josh, um, we won't talk about those Josh who have moved away from us, but Josh. She went there. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we, we love, you know, I would literally walk over to their house and be like, oh, I don't have any flour, you know, and I would walk over and I would get, I just, that sense, it was dicey. There were, it was old flour. Let me tell you, I, it was old flour. I made Thanksgiving cinnamon rolls with old flour that had bugs in it. Didn't know until I took the first bite of cinnamon roll and was like, wait, there's a little extra something, something in here. Turns out there were bugs in the flowing flour. So You're not helping our case. There are problems. There are problems with neighbor, but that story is like Adam and Josh are, mm, yeah. Mm, yeah, gold. Um, yeah, that's forgiveness and mercy and grace. That's the story that's there. Um, protein, yeah. <laughs> um... Um, but, you know, I think in our heart, we've always wanted to be together. I mean, this is what you're, what you're talking about is how we've understood the gospel and the call and, and what we've acknowledged that we've needed and longed for and wanted. So here we are now. I live across the river. Many of us live in different places across Portland because we've been a mobile church. So we've been in different neighborhoods and kind of collected different people across space and time. And and space and time, I don't know what that, it's a sci-fi church, you didn't know about this, but. I was wondering. There's a little wormhole. Back to the future, here we go. Back and forth, and so it's, um, I wasn't gonna mention that, but. Um, <laughs> um, how, you know. You artists. <laughs> very creative way in which I view the church. Um, I, I'm, here we are, and, and I mean, there are nuances in how, you know, how, how, how deeply rooted we want to be here and how embedded we want to be in the ways in which we want to be in, in place and, and woven into the fabric of this community. Um, um, urban places, they are transient. People here for six months and then they're gone. Um, I think there's woundedness and hurt in that even. I can say from my own ministry life of people that have come and been so close to me and then they're gone, and so there's my own vulnerability and, and getting close to people. Um, there is the, the hard work that it takes to be in deep relationship. Anyway, all these things that I say. How, um, and then, so the, the radical in me wants to go ask Jamie, Jamie, I think my family could move up here in this room, right? We're in the roost. I think by next week I could get a renter for my house. And we can live upstairs. We'll just slowly transform this bathroom into, there's plenty of room for a shower. I'm like, these two rooms can be bedrooms. So this is, did we not have that legitimate conversation? Jamie's like, if you could just wait a year so that we can know <laughs> what these, what the finances are like, you know, and she's like bringing reason, like trying to calm me down, you know. Paul and I are like, maybe we can move into that house next door. Like, we'll just, like, there's a longing. There's a longing in our, in our hearts to be in, but there is, you know, the schools my kids go to, um, how much money it costs to live in this particular neighborhood. Um, if I commit, will anyone, like here's my fear. I commit 
Will anyone else come in with us in that work? Or am, or am I alone in that? Um, will I get priced out or moved out? Or will an institution decide that I'm not doing a good enough job here and, and move me out? Right? These are all the fears, and they're very real practical things that will flood my mind when I think the very divine call and very divine, motivated, instinctual, gut, heart, mind is to pull us in and closer together and to be committed in those tight relationships. How do we navigate that? What would you say to that? How would you pastor? Pastor me right now in that attention. <laughs> Tag your it. <laughs> yes. But no, we've had these conversations, so I... You are screwed. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've drank the Kool-Aid. It's... Uh... Oh, my. Well, I... The first thing that I, I, I want to say is we across the U.S. are recovering the longing mm, mm. for such a thing. Yes. Like... Think about it for a second. This, what you, th this is astonishing. You are the first civilization in history of the world to have lost community. But back in Jesus' day, the problem wasn't community. The problem was who got excluded from community. That's it. You, you, right? Everyone lived in community. That's how you survived. That's what life was about. That's the only way you could do it, right? In the last hundred years, is the first time in the history of the world that people could literally live above place, above community, yes. above shared life together. Yes. Uh, and, and, and there were good things that came about from that because there were a lot of problems in our communities, right? Patriarchy, ex exclusionary tactics, you know, like we could go on and on. But we are discovering as we started to think we could just live on our own independently this generation, especially millennials, they're just like, wait a second. Somewhere, our parents and our grandparents lost their way and, and we want to recover, right? So the first thing I want to say is let the longing live. Yes, yes. So Walter Brueggemann, theologian, and many theologians will say such things. Walter Brueggemann said, Paul, the neighborhood is like the desert that the people of Israel fled to out of Egypt. And I told, I, I had a chance to ask Walter, Walter, why do you call the neighborhood the desert? That's not helping us, <laughs> right? Why can't the neighborhood be the promised land, right? But he said, no, the neighborhood is the new desert. And the reason is it's the last place on earth that people would suspect that all their needs might be met. And the temptation is to run back to the system, back to Egypt, where at least you know you're going to get fed, at least you know you're going to get what you need, what's coming to you, right? But he said the neighborhood is that place where you begin to risk, you know, uh, uh, that, that God will sustain you, that, that you will learn how to sustain one another, etc. So, so let the longing live. Now doesn't mean that you will accomplish the longing, right? 
It doesn't mean that you can. So we're not buying a block in the neighborhood. You know, I'm yes. not saying no to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying no to it. I, all I'm saying is, is let the longing live for for community, for neighborhood, for a place where people who are different from one another can start to learn how to be family, right? How to be the body of Christ. Uh, let the longing live, and then let it become a prayer. Let it become uh, something that you risk for, something that you are uh, uh, an activist about, right? That something that you uh, begin to say, uh, it's not right that it's so difficult in our time to share life and community, right? Uh, and, and so I say it all to say this. as It's not a thing where everybody looks around at each other and judges each other for uh, where, whether they're closer in or closer out or any of those things. It's one of those things where we encourage one another towards new ways of supporting each other in that shared way of life, right? Uh, so all, all this to say, let the longing live, let the prayers live, let the hope live, let the dream live, and let God open the doors for the exodus. The exodus from the narrative that says it's all about me, it's all about getting mine, it's all about uh, making sure I have all my stuff protected. Let that narrative die, and let the narrative that God will make a way begin to grow in your hearts. Yeah, I think there's a dominant cultural narrative that we're being led into, um, one of consumerism, one of security, uh, one of fear. Um, and I think what the neighborhood does, the questions of the neighborhood, allows us to wrestle with a new story and a narrative. And so for us, and I, this isn't prescriptive, so in no way is this guilting or shaming any of you who, it's not. Please don't take it that way. But it really is what we've had to decide and the value shifts that we've had to do as, as, as my family to be able to live in the neighborhood that we're in. Um, we lived in the Burbs and the faith community was originating downtown. We're like, we've got to be there. And um, I'm a downtown guy. And so it was really important that we made the shift. But in the neighborhood that this faith community was emerging in, the housing prices start at $900,000. So what does it look like to be present in a community that and I didn't want to be a tourist in a community each week that I wasn't present in? So we made the decision, and there was a value shift to say that actually renting was more important than owning. Well, that's not a cultural narrative that we're told. Like, that's not a, a – so when we would have conversations with our neighbors, they said, oh, are you struggling financially? And they're like, no. Um, well, why would you – you know, sell a house you can rent. And then we would have an opportunity to tell the neighborhood story. Because it's actually more important that we're with the people in which we're doing life with than it is for us to own outside. Um, so it had to us doing a lot of values checks and going, why do we hold this value? And is it a cultural value? Or is it more of a kingdom value? And what does it look like for us to find abundance in different ways in the space that we're at? Um, I'll also say that maybe you know, in an initial step is to consider this community here, this building, as a home. And we all, hopefully, are living into kind of hospitality and presence in the neighborhoods that we all are at. But where's that shared neighborhood connection as you gather here? 
And what if you look at this space as a home and said, how do we do hospitality here? How do we do, um, what's, what's our outward face look like? What are the third spaces that are around? And begin to start doing some things together. I will call them micro experiments. Begin to do some simple things together um, and see where that could grow and expand to. So don't feel that you have to move in. If you're called, great, um, do that. But uh, at least start doing something as a collective and allow this building as a home here to be a, a, a space of span of care, part of the ecosystem within this neighborhood. You, you have this new building, unbelievable. This is, I mean, you're, you're set up for one of the most amazing possibilities, right? Uh, it's, it is a tremendous gift, and also it brings with it responsibility because the old way is to use it as if uh, you own it and you consume it and you use right. it just for your purposes and you don't realize it's attached to a whole ecology of relationships in the neighborhood, right? It's, it's in the center of something. And so the, the, no matter where you live, if you're a part of this church and you're a part of this building now, and you're, then that means uh, you have a responsibility to this place and to this neighborhood and to begin to to see it as uh, I'm here uh, I'm not even an insider I'm not even a stakeholder maybe right, right? Uh, so I'm coming in from the outside how do I come in in that way that, that Randy Woodley the Native American guy how, how do I come into this place in a way that's responsible to what's already here and what's happening here. And that, that's a huge deal, you know? One, one quick other thing that has to be said is for people of privilege, mm. this conversation uh, is a very different one than for, for people who have been living on the margins. And, and I say that because, because uh, people of privilege need repentance. Uh, they, need, they need to to turn from their fragmented ways and live into this, right? Uh, people who have been marginalized, oftentimes they have been excluded from life right. and communities, right? right? Um, or they were living in community for a long, long time. Uh, in, in, like say, most of the people we learned from yes. were people of color living in urban neighborhoods and, and, and forever, mm -hmm. right? And so the last thing that they need is people of privilege now saying to them, yeah. you, you need to stay put. Right, uh, when they have been completely uh, excluded and, and, and marginalized and that sort of thing. So there's two different conversations at play, so and you really gotta be awake to that. Yes. You really gotta be awake uh, to what is God calling and asking of me, not what is God asking everybody else to do. I just uh, thank you so much for um, yeah um, the the neighborhood. I love the neighborhood questions, and and the um, I appreciate you coming in and speaking very specifically to our particular context. And um, I know both of you. We've had lots of conversations about what is here and what this space holds and, and who we are. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just say: is, is there any any other any final thoughts or anything that? That you yeah. want to say I want to say, I, I yeah. absolutely got to say it. Yeah. 
So I've been, I have been in over a thousand neighborhoods uh, over the last 10 years, uh, walking the streets, visiting with, with groups just like this uh, in, in many different countries. And I want to say this because something spectacular is at play right now. Uh, God is, is doing something with, with groups of people who are becoming present to their neighborhoods, uh, just like you are, right? And, and oftentimes we don't realize it because we're, we're kind of siloed from each other. And so, so you might think to yourself, not very many groups do this. Not very many churches are about this. But, but I'm here to testify to you that is actually no longer the case. Everywhere you turn, churches are awakening to something that they've lost and learning a, a more faithful way to return to the neighborhood where God's called them to, you know? So I just wanted you to know, God's up to something special uh, when it comes to this neighborhood stuff. And it's exciting and it's hopeful and uh, you're, you're entering into something pretty meaningful. So we're excited for you all. Yeah, I just want to personalize it and so you've got a great core team, Paul and Sonia, um, the band, Eric and Jamie, and Jamie, what Jamie has done in the building, just being, or being here, like I kind of get a snapshot view when I talk to Sonia, but it's being here is different. And I just want to say the nucleus in which is here already is so beautiful. You have something here, the possibility that doesn't reside just in a building but the, the possibility that is in each of you and what each of you bring um, is tremendous. And so I would say you, you, you have it. You have what you need. You, you have all the things. It's just how do we work together and how do we bring our parts to make, um, to make this, the possibility that we see in this neighborhood, how do we, how do we add to that? So I, I, I love what you've created. Um, that 10, you know, 10 years next, wow. Like you made it 10 years. There are so few faith communities, so few faith communities, like seriously. Um, so there's lots to celebrate, lots of hope. Don't be afraid at the task. Don't see building as liability. There are so many assets here. Um, so I'm, I'm encouraged at the story that emerges uh, from here on. And I think th this 10 years seems significant to me in that it's a 10 years of celebrating what was. And I think there's a new space now you're moving into. It's kind of this into something. Um, because of what the foundation, the character, and all those things that are, that are they're, they're there. You don't have to redo that. So there really is a, a pressing in. Um, I see it as, a, as an hourglass or a V. And it takes so much time to get to the essence and the core of what a thing is. And you feel pressed and, and narrowed in. What you don't realize is once you go through the narrowing, it opens up. And there's an expansive view on the other side of it. So I think you guys are moving into an expansive place.